1: 4-7-1 on the season as we bring in Zach Kiefer of The Athletic. I want to get to the Jeff Saturday remarks earlier today about his mistake in judgment and not calling a timeout. And I guess his apology to the team when he stands before them coming up tomorrow. But first things first, you get a team from the top on down, starting with Jim Irsay, so outspoken you know, shaking their fist at the NFL for not giving them, you know, a standalone Monday night football game or a a nationally televised home football game. You get that in Monday night football after the first time in, what, seven years, and then your team responds and comes out completely flat playing to that level. I thought that that was embarrassing in the first half last night. It
2: was. And Jay, John, like, let's let's go back to this. Like, you've been pining the NFL for this game, for this home game on Monday Night Football on national television. And how do you respond? You don't complete a pass until six minutes to go before halftime. It was the longest a team has gone without completing one pass in a game since the Broncos during the COVID year, when their entire quarterback <laughs> room was wiped out due to COVID, and they had to start a freaking a wide, wide receiver. receiver. Yeah. <laughs> this offense is so broken and it's hard to watch. And I look, I feel for the fans that were there last night that paid money. I feel for the fans that stayed up and watched that whole thing because this team has taken years off my life just covering it. I can't imagine being emotionally invested. But look, they, they talk the talk. And, and Jim Murphy can say what he wants. But when they beat the Raiders, he gets on Twitter and says, You guys all criticize me for making this move. We win. Well, now they're coming back to life, and now the polish has start to worn off, and now you're starting to see, like what you mentioned a minute ago with the timeout fiasco, what it's like when you tire a guy off an ESPN set to coach an NFL team. Look, Jeff can give them some oomph, some juice, some fire, and I think he has to some degree, but at the end of the day, that, that only goes so far in this league, and you don't win games. You don't win seasons because of fiery postgame or pregame speeches. You win – with good players and good positions and you win with schematics and coaching. And they got out coached last night and they made a pretty bad mess of it at the end.
1: Hey, Zach, I, I think this is a, a horrible example, but I think that it is true uh, twofold here. One is I think more of the reason last night that people weren't as outraged um, as you thought they might be because of the lack of a timeout is because there was no thought that this team could score a touchdown to get even in the first place. So you're just kind of saying, yeah, whatever. And I think people felt the same way because, I'm sorry, that final play, Paris Campbell was interfered with. And I've heard absolutely nothing outside of me. And I'm not crying about the officiating, but that was a defensive pass interference to me, textbook, and it wasn't called, and I and others didn't make too much out of it. Because of the low level of expectations that this offense is right now, you just didn't think they were going to get it done in the end. Thus, you really didn't care.
2: Yeah, that's the sad part, right? So the issue I had with the explanation we got last night was Jeff Saturday saying we had a lot of time and I felt good. I wouldn't have felt good in that situation because they were on the 27-yard line. Like, if you're inside the 6 or the 8, like, okay, yeah. Then I'm thinking you've got enough time with these timeouts. And to go to your point, like, this team's not good enough to bank on a touchdown from the 27. I don't think they're good enough to bank on a touchdown from the freaking one-yard line. And we learned that last night when they fumbled the ball. So that's a good point. And I also didn't didn't buy for one second the idea that the Colts were, were not trying to score too fast. Like, they don't get to say that. They don't get to right. think that. They don't. This is one of the worst red zone teams in the league this year. This is one of the worst scoring teams in the league. Every touchdown feels like an anomaly right now for this team. When you average 14, 15 points a game, you have one of the fewest touchdown totals in the league. So, I'm not buying any of that. And and a pretty strong mea culpa today from Jeff Saturday. To his credit, just came out and completely owned it. He said this was all on me. I'm going to address the players tomorrow. But look, this was this was a rookie coaching mistake. You know, for those that watched the Week One game between Denver and Seattle when Peyton Manning was basically calling timeout, like, what, 38 times? Like, that was all of us in the press box. I bet that was you wherever you watched it. I bet that was everybody in the stadium.
1: And the only ones that didn't
2: know to call a timeout are the coach and the quarterback and the play caller. And that's just a huge mistake that you can't make in that situation.
1: All right. Through now three games being one and two, how has Jeff Saturday accounted for himself as a first-time head coach, in this case, an interim coach of the Colts?
2: Yeah, like I mentioned a minute ago, it, it feels like some of the shine has worn off, and, and, and now we're into the real part, right? It, it, you get the opening press conference, you get the opening week, you play a bad Raiders team, and that certainly helped, didn't it? The fact that the Raiders just, like, didn't tackle in the back end, and you win that game, and you're sort of the story of the NFL for a week or so, and then it gets real, and the really good coaches can handle that. And they blew a game against the Eagles, and they blew this one against the Steelers, and now they've blown three straight home games with fourth-quarter leads. This is who they are. They can change the coach. They can change the quarterback. They can change the OC, the play caller, you name it. This is who the Colts are. They're a team with some talented players that just cannot stop finding ways to lose games. I don't think Jeff Saturday's done a particularly great job with the offensive line. You know, maybe he gave them a boost early, but again, it, you know, I said this then, and it wasn't a popular opinion. They're playing the worst defensive line in the league in, in the Las Vegas Raiders who made them look good that day. They got beat up last week against the Eagles and gave up four sacks today. He said, he's sticking with Bernard Ryman at left tackle and will fries at right guard, but you know, they gave up three sacks last night. This is an offensive problem. It's not just that unit. You know, Matt Ryan didn't play well last night. The reason early is because nobody was getting open down the field. That doesn't excuse Ryan's first two passes. The first should have gotten intercepted. The second was. So, I don't know about you, man, but when I just watch this offense, I feel like every yard seems hard, and I just feel like there's no answer. And if Jeff was brought in to fix the offensive line, which is really at the root of all these issues – there's no magic fix. There's no magic pill. There's no Anthony Costanzo coming back to fix the left tackle position. That was so royally effed up in the offseason that you're not going to fix it in November or December. And this is what they are. Um, and, and I just don't think Jeff Saturday's is going to be able to fix anything down the road. And They might not win another game until they play Houston on the
1: Well, I can tell you this. I think before last night, they cared about it. I don't think any longer they care about winning another game, which Zach – Zach for the Athletics on and the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, brings me to this. I also will stand and say I, I've seen enough from Chris Ballard. I don't need to see his fingerprints on where they're going next because he had his chance to build it. And let's face it, this team is a failure right now. Where they are right now with Chris Ballard, you know, you punted your head coach midseason. Now the spotlight, if you will, is going to go on the general manager, and it's been a failure. So if you're going to move forward and you're really going to put everything under the microscope, as this team should, don't you have to move on without the general manager? This is
2: absolutely a failure. It's a failed season, and it starts there. It starts with three people, really, Frank Reich and Chris Ballard. And and Jim Mercer, obviously, I don't know what Jim Mercer is going to do. I know what he said a couple weeks ago when we asked him directly about Chris Ballard's future but I don't take his word into account as much as I once did because he said Frank Reich was safe two weeks before he fired him for an ESPN analyst. So we have to take that into account. If he does move on from Chris Ballard, that's a very obvious sign that he wants to start over from scratch. Personally, and this is just my opinion, I don't think he wants to do that. I don't think he wants to go all the way and go new GM, new head coach, and obviously new quarterback moving forward. They probably take one in the first round of the draft. So does he want to do that? I don't know. I really don't know. I don't think he does. But again, I'm sitting there last night watching this team and I'm thinking, well, they don't have an edge rusher, really. I mean, pay has been okay, but he's he'd hurt a lot. They don't have a left tackle and they don't have a quarterback of the future. And I can't think of three more important positions moving forward for this league. It's great you have an awesome left guard or at least a formerly awesome left guard. And I can go on and on and Fabio O'Carake played well, and Rodney McLeod was a great signing. It doesn't matter if you don't have those three positions figured out, and it's been a long time since they did, and that's a damning thing on Chris Ballard's resume right now that Jim Mercer is going to have to live with and decide upon because this QB carousel, as we said, is not working. But it's not just that. It's not just that. It's, it's the way this team was built, and the flaws are so obvious every single Sunday and Monday night last night. Hey.
1: Zach, that's it. I'm not trying to be your normal radio horse's ass here at all. I just look at it this way. If it's Ballard again, clearly his philosophy on how to build a team has been a failure. So does he change that up? Does he go a different direction? I mean, don't you now have to go with a philosophy that you don't altogether believe in? I just think that a lot of this is going to entail – a fresh start. And in particular, at quarterback, I just, if, if you're Jim Mercier, I don't know how you move on with something that clearly has not worked out over a six year span.
2: Yeah, that's a totally valid point. That's an answer that Jim Mercier is going to have to stand in front of the media and, 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 you know, in turn, his fan base in answer. Because, you know, it's one thing, and, and for those of us that cover the team, like, look, our job is to tell you why the team is doing what it's doing. You can agree, you can disagree, and that's why it's fun, right? We don't know how it's going to turn out. And I've said this all along, it's one thing to be all about the offensive line. Like, that's fine. Like, I did a whole freaking podcast series on why they screwed up the previous quarterback because they never built around him, and, and I understand it's complicated. But everybody was on board with the offensive line when it was kicking ass, right? Right. And then when it falls apart, it's like, okay, if you're going to be about the offensive line, then you need to be about the offensive line. And Matt Ryan would have been okay this year. I'm not really willing to go further, but he would have been okay if they were who they used to be. And then it all fell apart and you and you gambled just terribly at left tackle and right guard. And I've never seen two positions on the line sabotage a season like those two have sabotaged this Colt season. There's so many more issues, but you're right. If, if you're going to be about one approach, and that approach is so obviously flawed and wrong. We all saw it last night. We've seen it for a couple of months now. Doesn't it mean you need a fresh start? And the other thing is, is this is a really important point. You're going to probably be hiring a new coach. Like, I don't know if Jeff Saturday's back. I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's probably less of a chance right now than there was 24 hours ago after the way the game ended last night. But Maybe I'm getting a little bit too far ahead of myself, but if you go outside for this hire, what coach wants to come in here knowing that the owner has made some decisions of late and not even the GM has been able to make some decisions of late? And That's a very real thing when you start to think about the next coach you want to get, which obviously job number one will be to mold the future franchise quarterback that this team has been looking for for three or four years now.
1: I, I And I kind of look at it this way. I think Jeff is going to have a gig here. I do. I think that, that yeah, Jim Irsay wants it to be, be the head line. coach. Uh, yeah, yeah, it may not be on the sideline, but I do think if he wants it, I, and I don't know how much we're considering right now. By the end of the season, we're in, you know, now through three weeks of him being the coach, and he's going to go into the locker room tomorrow and, you know, tell those players how much he muffed up the, the situation late in that game. I, I mean, do we honestly know at the end of this year that he will want to still be doing this? Because the dude had a cush life. I mean, he's going back and forth from Bristol to Atlanta. He was coaching up kids, and he was able to be like me and just kind of swing from the rooftops and say, this is what's going wrong because I've got the loudest voice right now. And and, and now he's taking – now he's, people are swinging at him. You think that – do we honestly know that he will want to be in a position as a coach or – Somebody in this front office, once the season is done.
2: No, we don't. And Jeff has said this. Jeff has said this publicly. He doesn't know if he wants to be the long-term solution. And, and I'll give him credit. He's not, he's not BSing us. He's not just saying what Ursay wants to hear. He does not know yet if he wants to be the full-time coach. I think this was an eight-week experiment on both sides. Ursay to get a fresh perspective on his team and to see if Jeff Saturday could light a fire under these guys. But also, if Jeff wanted to get into coaching. Now, to counter that, I would say if you want to see if Jeff Saturday is a capable coach, this is not the situation to bring him in and and have him take over. Like, this was an unprecedented situation in a lot of ways where you're setting him up to fail because you don't have an answer at quarterback, the offensive line's broken, all these things we've been talking about for a couple of months. Now, look, you know, we asked Reggie Wayne this question a couple of weeks ago. We said you think Jeff's going to stick around full-time? And he said, I don't know, man. I mean, the Jeff that I know likes to be at home with his kids. Now, Jeff's kids are older. I think one of them plays in North Carolina. So that changes things a little bit. But, man, I mean, Reggie's made this very clear. Like, it's one thing to be a player. It's another thing to be a coach. And even Robert Mathis mentioned this. Like, you're showing up when it's dark and you're leaving when it's dark. And a lot of these guys have trouble with that. I don't think Reggie Wayne's long for coaching. He's kind of been really obvious about that. And I don't yeah. know if Jeff Saturday is, and maybe I'm wrong here, but that, that's a very real factor in this. Everyone kind of just assumes that he wants to be the guy moving forward in 2023. Jeff has not said that, and honestly, I don't even think Jeff has made that decision yet.
1: So, Zach for The Athletic, on the Andy Moore, on the Motor Group Hotline, I guess we kind of make the transition to some of these what-if storylines. This is interesting to me because let's just say that, that Jeff Saturday doesn't want to do it anymore and then jim is true to his word and chris ballard is back. So chris ballard is going to get another swing at hiring another head coach and rebuilding this thing. I <laughs> That's going to be a tough sell around here. Will it not? Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. I think so and and look, and
2: you know, this is a little bit more common than people think. Some GMs survive these things. Some GMs have a tenure that has three different head coaches, which means you missed on two, right? Um, and I'm not saying that's going to happen, um, but in the back of my mind, something tells me Jim Mercer does not want to blow it up, a la after the 2011 season, and just start completely from scratch. Now, again, he's been a little bit impetuous this season. He's definitely been unprecedented, so I'm not ruling anything off the table. I've learned that. anything Anything I say today could be totally wrong because he could change his mind and change – everything he said so far. Um, But look, I mean, that's the GM's job. The GM's job is to go hire a coach. The last time they went and hired a coach, he backed out after agreeing to become the coach, and Ursay stepped in and said, we're going to go get Frank Reich. So, again, like Chris Ballard's never even really hired a head coach here. So um, does he get, you know, in what amounts to a third chance? I don't know. But there's, we're getting to the point where there's five games left. The, the results of the games matter so little. Losses are more valuable because of the draft positioning. And all that matters about the future of this franchise is what Ursay decides to do come January 9th or 10th, whenever it is after that last game against Houston, determining the fate of his GM and Chris Ballard, and then what he wants to do at head coach.
1: Is it financially responsible? And, and given the decision that Jim Ursay made earlier this season, I think a lot of that was in mind and I don't want to see Sam Ellinger, but I'm sick of seeing Matt Ryan. I mean, maybe I want to see Nick Falls now. I'm not sure, but is it financially responsible for the Colts to shut down Matt Ryan given the circumstances?
2: Jim Mercer has fought back on this very, very fervently. He said no decisions about the roster will be made based on financial implications. I'm with you, man. Like what, Matt Ryan, it doesn't look like he's it right now. And I know that you know, a couple of weeks ago I was saying, you got to go back to Matt Ryan. And it seemed like that was the right choice against the Raiders. But if you're bringing in a rookie quarterback, wouldn't it make sense on paper to have Matt Ryan here? Um, I don't think the Colts are a playoff team in 2023 no matter what you do. So that's the reality. If you're going to draft a guy, you're not going to draft a guy in the top four unless you move up. So if assuming you've got a guy that's probably not ready to play, it would probably be a good idea to have a seasoned veteran like Matt Ryan in place. But I totally can see the other side of the argument. He's not getting it done. His arm doesn't look the same. It's not going to get any better next year. So you're going to – the bottom line is
1: it's going to get worse before it gets better. I'm just kind of thinking about it. The Colts, what, 4-7-1 and one right now. I mean, it's going to be a dogfight to see who can lose the best against the Texans, I guess, (laughs) at the end of the season. But, I mean, they could, I guess. I mean, they've tied them already. Um, Yeah. Obviously, they could could easily lose. They could lose out. And then when you look at some of these teams – and I know that you got a four-win Raiders team right now. They're probably better than the four wins might even advertise, and don't know where they're going with with Derek Carr. We know in the AFC West, yeah, the Broncos are kind of stuck right now as a three-win team, it would seem. With Russell Wilson, I, I mean, can they can they get up there and compete with the Lions? With the, you know, the Packers have. You know, they've got a quarterback of the future right now, even if it's not Aaron Rodgers. I think the Bears with Justin Fields got a quarterback of the future. Uh, the Panthers are going to be looking for a quarterback. The Saints will be looking for a quarterback. Uh, the Rams may now be looking for a quarterback given the situation with Matthew Stafford and you know who all, and knows about Arizona. So can they compete for those other teams that logically may be going out and searching for a quarterback come the draft in the spring?
2: You know what I haven't said all season is this. I like the Colts' chances, and, and here's why. I mean, you go to Dallas. Dallas is 8-3. You go to Minnesota, they're 9-2. You go to the Chargers, and you host the Chargers. They're 6-5. and five. Then you go to the Giants, who are 7-4. and four. So the next four, with the buy wow. squeeze in between, all those teams are going to be playing for something. All those teams are going to be playing for playoff positioning. And so it's very realistic to think the Colts might not see another win until that Houston game. And like you said, they couldn't even beat Houston – in week one, fully healthy with everything on the line in a week one game that you haven't won in God knows how long. So it's going to get worse in terms of the short-term game stuff. But, yeah, they're going to have to move up. And, and I like their chances of moving into the top nine or ten. But even that, I don't know how comfortable you feel. And the other, the other layer in all of this is you were kind of hoping you would have another second-round pick. And I always thought that extra second-round pick that you had coming from Washington because of the Carson Wentz trade, would help you maneuver to get four or five spots, right? I mean, that's a a costly thing to do when we're talking the very top of the draft. This will be the highest they've drafted since 2018, I would expect. But you're not going to get that second rounder as of right now. It's Taylor Heineke's team in Washington. Wentz has only played 50% of the snaps. That's a bigger deal here than a lot of people realize because you're going to be stuck with a third rounder. Now, you can still move up, but it's just a lot easier when you've got two twos. So we'll see what they do. But like you said, there's a lot of teams that need quarterbacks, and this is a good quarterback draft. So, get ready for a lot of quarterback talk the next six months.
1: It's Zach Key for the Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Before I let you go, it seems like this team has majorly taking taking steps backwards. And normally in the NFL, that's why we love it, right? Because you can be a really bad team and then counter the next year, do some things right, make some good decisions, and be right back up there in competition. But this team seems like it's going full throttle in reverse right now. And, and to me, I hate to say this, but it seems like it's going to be more than just, hey, you know, next year you're going to be back into it. It seems like it's going to be a lot longer than what many people would believe it to be once we kind of sift through the rubble this offseason.
2: Yeah, I don't think they're as close as, as maybe they think they are, right? You're going to bring in a new coach, whether it's Jeff Saturday or somewhere else, but I feel like the entire approach is flawed. I think every fan out there listening and watched, it last, watched last night would agree, like, this this team doesn't have the positions filled where you need to have filled in this league in this era. Like, you can't have an offense that simply cannot get first downs until five minutes is left in the second quarter. Like, you can't do that. They got a stud at running back who can't stop fumbling the ball, but also who who just can't find a hole. And every time he gets the ball he's getting hit in the backfield. So there's like even the things they're supposed to be good at, which are good for the nineteen nineties era of pro football, they're not good at right now. And that's a huge problem. So man, I, I don't know if this team's been in a worse spot since since maybe twenty seventeen, but even then, you know, there was a pretty strong belief that Andrew Luck was gonna come back from the shoulder This has been a long way. Like, I don't know where this team goes from here besides
3: a total, total
2: rethink on their approach. And, And I think you evaluate everything. And that means the contracts you have on that payroll right now, your approach, your coaching, everything needs to be looked at. Because what they're doing right now is just so obviously flawed.
1: Zach Kiefer of the Athletic with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline get a Sunday nighter against Dallas. Um, we're kind of knowing how that is going to go. Do you think? Um, and this is just I, this probably has really no bearing on anything anybody cares about. But um, are we are we seeing? And maybe that happened last year in Atlanta. But you're talking about a Hall of Fame quarterback, a future Hall of Fame quarterback. Is his career here at the tail end being besmirched? by these past couple of years, and especially where he is with his Colts team right now?
2: Yeah, that's a fair point. I, I certainly think the arm quite isn't what it used to be. And, and all, all that I heard from talking to people around Atlanta last year about Matt Ryan was, man, if you just give, him a, just give him a line, just give him protection, and he can do it. He can still play. And that's what they sold him on here. You know, They sold him on the play-action game. They sold him on Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly and Braden Smith. And they didn't sell him on this, and and that's the problem. And I'm not sure how much the shoulder is still bothering him. He's been taking some shots. He's getting hit. He's fumbling the ball. Um, He's not at the stage of his career where he can overcome the flaws that are around him. In a lot of ways, and, and this is not probably a popular opinion, but I remember saying this last year, Carson Wentz covered up for this offensive line in some respects a lot last year. There were a lot of plays that he escaped a lot of pressure because he was such an athlete back there. Now, conversely, I'm totally not going to omit the fact that he held onto the ball too long and he made football harder than it needed to be and all that, and he didn't take the, the layups. Look, I get that. There's Both things can be true. But I thought this line took a big step back last year, and I wasn't ready to call it an elite offensive line late in the season because I watched Las Vegas and Jacksonville. And then you pick up right where you left off this year in Houston. And they've given up 43 sacks so far in 11 games. They're up pace to give up 60, like 60 sacks, man. Like two years ago, they gave up 20, 20. Like they were second in the league, and they would have been first if they didn't have a bunch of COVID guys out in that Pittsburgh Steelers game at, um, I want to call it three rivers, but it's Heinz Field now. But anyway, that's a long way to say Matt Ryan's not going to get it done when he's getting under pressure all day. The arm isn't what it used to be. And the offensive scheme isn't what it used to be. I mean they got a first time play caller in Parks Fraser. He's not going to elevate the offense in some of the ways that Frank Reich might have. But again, Frank Reich's hands are duty as well because of what they went through the last time we saw them play under him in New England. So it's just it's just been a mess and you ask Matt Ryan about it and he's like, look, everybody has taken their turn being terrible this season. The line, you know, these aren't his words, but that's kind of what he's hinting at. The, the quarterback, the line, the running backs fumble the receivers. All of it seems to be broken. Now, there are some bright spots. Jelani Woods had a nice night, but he's not the quarterback that's going to lift anyone around him right now, and that's the shame of it because he's been a total pro through what's got to be one of the hardest seasons of
3: his career.
1: Yeah, and and even the bright spots aren't consistently bright. They will dim, and then they'll get bright again, and then they'll dim you know, they kind of dangle that carrot a little bit, and you know it doesn't turn out the way that you want it. Before I let you go, John Dishower just sent me a tweet and said, regarding Nick Foles, what does it say when he can't make the active roster with a quarterback room the Colts have? And I would respond with this. They haven't wanted him to make the active roster. They don't want him out there playing, although I think last night I've seen enough of Sam Ellinger. I really don't seem to see it anymore. And if we're just playing out the string here, which I think clearly – they are, or if they're not, they should be, then, you know, for the sake of not getting, I guess, Matt Ryan any more killed than he has been uh, or out there making bad decisions and besmirching his career, why not play Foles? Would you agree with that? And I'm, I'm not yeah. certain that they will, but would you agree with that?
2: Yes. Why not? Why, why'd you bring him here? Like, you know, nothing against Matt Ryan, nothing against Sam Ellinger. It's not worked. Neither of them are getting that done. There's nothing, there's nothing left to play for besides respect. And the way they've treated Nick Foles, the way they've kind of just run him around in terms of, well, you're the backup. Well, now you're the other backup to this guy. And now you're the third stringer. Like, yeah. he didn't come here for this. And, and look, like, no. Nick Foles didn't have a terrible preseason. And um, at this point, like, me trying to justify the Colts' decision making at quarterback is, is just like, it's like, there's no that's a waste of time because none of it makes sense, none of it's consistent. And none of it's logical. So, at this point, like, I'm with you, man. Like, why not give Nick Foles a run? Who cares? Like, you know, you've trashed him all year in terms of, like, not really being honest about where he is on this team and where he is on the depth chart. So, give him a shot. I mean, the dude's bitten his lip. He surely has opinions on how this was handled. He came here to play for Frank Wright. Give him a shot. It can't get much worse.
1: Yeah. be interesting to see how this locker room holds together, splinters or otherwise here in the approaching final month of the season. No doubt about that. Zach Kiefer of The Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, uh, sifting through the rubble of last night and where we are right now. I always appreciate that. Zach, get a little bit of rest, and I'm sure we'll do it again soon, buddy. Thank you. Let's do it. Thanks, man. Yeah, Zach Kiefer of The Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: And on board from Bally Sports Indiana, he's the voice of the Pacers, Chris Denary. And I mentioned this, I'm taking zero away from Andrew Nemhardt. What Andrew Neymar did in that moment as a rookie was amazing. But that was one of the more amazing under duress, under pressure, with the clock ticking, one of the more amazing plays from Tyrese Halliburton that you are going to see. And I think in large part because we're dealing with a game winner, that went unnoticed, but not by me. It was incredible.
0: No, it was, and I mean, he's a guy, JMV uh, that in the last three games, he's had 40 assists and no turnovers. Nobody has done that in the history of the NBA, nobody, and the way he controls the game, the way he doesn't panic, um, you know, it's just, he's just a special player. I mean, LeBron James said that after the game, the guy is special, and uh, his ability to not rush um, and, you know, maybe make a bad pass, it gets tipped, or, or even maybe he tries to take a shot that is more covered than what he saw over with Andrew Nemhart. But, um, you know, there was just a lot of guys that that stood out, John. I mean, for those that stayed up and watched, you know, it's amazing how many people texted me and said they went to bed and they woke up and they were shocked. Um, But, you know, TJ McConnell was terrific at the start of the fourth quarter. Neesmith hit some shots. Uh, You know, Miles, I thought, rebounded the ball well and did a good job against Anthony Davis. He only got two shots in the fourth quarter. So, you can go up and down the line. There were plenty of guys that, you know, played a big role in the win, but uh, Tyrese Halliburton is special, and it's, uh, it's a good thing that the Pacers have him.
1: I, I just He explained it to J.J. after the game in, in terms of what, what took him about three minutes to explain what was going through his head in the final less than five seconds was amazing to me, all that he had to consume and all that he had to calibrate, you know, you're looking in the corner, at, at a guy that you would want taking that shot and Buddy Heald, but knowing that Anthony Davis was there to really close him out, and then with a left hand throwing that dime to Nemhart because he saw LeBron James kind of leak back into the, the, the lane area a little bit and would have a much more difficult time to close it out. All that stuff you compute within five seconds or less, that, that just made the play to me more amazing.
0: Yeah, think about it for uh, Andrew Nemhardt. He had missed the last four games with an injury. He, he did not play in the season opener. So he's played 15 of the first 20 games. And his first uh, game-winning shot at the Horn is against the guy that's going to become the all-time leading NBA scorer probably sometime in late January, early February. And, uh, you know, to have the confidence to take that shot. You know, David West told me this many, many years ago, John. It's not, it's not, having to deal with making the shot it's can you deal with missing the shot and I think that's what all good and great players do is they they know that they're going to have to answer hopefully if the ball goes in but if it doesn't you've got to answer that as well and you know he's only 22 years old I I think the Pacers I think Pacers fans know you know you watch Gonzaga for years uh, the Pacers got a steal at the start yeah. of the second round, no question about that.
1: I, I, I honestly Chris, I thought it was gonna take him some time. I'd watched him so much. I thought maybe that he would start struggling and it would take a while for him to get used to the consistent NBA level athletic ability at the guard. But man, we've talked about this before. He just he fits right in. Like I mean, he is just acclimated quicker and feels as comfortable as anybody out there on the floor for a guy that's been playing at that level for the better part of a month and a half.
0: And John has been pretty consistent that the two rookies, Matherin and Nemhard, are both out on the floor in co- uh, closing situations. I mean, I looked out there and, you know, Westbrook probably played one of the best games of the year for the Lakers. LeBron had 21, Anthony Davis. They had three guys with 20. I think you add up their all-star appearances. They've got 35-plus, and yet you're closing the game with two rookies that are are just now playing the first quarter of their NBA season. And, you know, I I think the biggest thing, we have seen this now from Benedict Matherin twice. He's had two single-digit games, and each time he responds in a big way. He had eight against New Orleans and then came back with 30 against Denver uh, he had nine the day before against the Clippers and really struggled. And he goes for 23 yesterday. So clearly he's a guy that can make adjustments on the fly. He can make adjustments from a game-to-game uh, situation. And, uh, you know, he – I mean, right now he's the rookie of the year and the sixth man. There's no question about that. Again, we have three-quarters of the season to go. But there's, there's nobody in the league that is doing what he's doing. You know, Ben off to a great start, but he's missed a significant amount of games. And I think I've always been, when I had a chance to vote, um, I always, you know, if it was even, I looked at the team's records. And clearly right now with a 12-8 and record, uh, Indiana has a much better record than Orlando does.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree on that, too. And Chris Denary, the voice of the Pacers, Valley Sports, Indiana. Next up, I believe, Sacramento. Uh, but first things first, we'll double back to what was that morale boost for everybody around here if you stayed up to watch it last night. And let's give credit where credit is due. I, I love Matherin because he, beyond just being talented, he, he doesn't give a blank, you know? Now, he's a dude, like in football terms, which we'll talk about, about the Colts, he's like a defensive back where, all right, one play, something may happen that go your way, but he's going to be prepared for the next play. He is always prepared for the next play on both ends of the floor, and he had that huge tip, that miles three that missed, I mean, credit Matherin for tipping that out. That went to Halliburton, and then Halliburton worked his magic, got it to, to Nimhard, but I will say this, I, I was at home, and while I was watching this, I said, please, don't throw it, and I'm a supporter of Miles and you know this, please don't throw it to Miles. I don't think my Twitter account can handle if 33 misses two game-winning threes there in those final moments. Please don't do it. So I'm just glad yeah, that it went someplace else.
0: Yeah, but, but I'm glad that Miles, you know, he had the, the fortitude. Oh, no, he to stepped into shot. it.
1: Yeah. I, I, I and, will say he, this, Chris, full disclosure, watching Miles make threes, for example, like last Wednesday against Minnesota, when he's confident and stroking it, that wasn't a confident stroke. I mean, he was kind of falling away a little bit. It fell short to the right of the rim. That was not a confident stroke. And then when you got it to Nimhart, it was right in the shooter's pocket. He stepped into it. That was and not just because it goes in, but you can just tell somebody shoot it confidently and somebody that wasn't. Nimhart did in that moment. You kind of tell Miles really didn't get that type of look. It was almost like he was surprised he was that wide open at that moment.
0: Yeah, and then, you know, then Anthony Davis is sort of flying there at the end. And sure. That, you know, it's a seven-footer coming after you. But you know, the the one thing that I, I think was so good about what happened last night in the fourth quarter is they were in the same position on Sunday afternoon, right? They got down by 19 or 20 and just could right. never get back in the game. And then yesterday, one of the biggest plays of the game, there are two big plays that I, I heard you earlier talking about stat sheets and, you know, people just look at stat sheets and they don't understand yep. the – Full complexity of the game. Um, The steal by T.J. McConnell uh, that the Pacers went the other way and scored. And then the second effort on the offensive rebound at the end of the third quarter by Matherin. I mean, all of a sudden, it's a nine-point game going to the fourth. Uh, Even though the lead got to 17, I I just thought that they had some momentum. It quickly slipped away. But to your point, back to Matherin, remember in the fourth quarter, I think he came down in transition, and they want him to take the shot. He missed two. But, you know, he came down yeah. the third time, and he took it again and buried it. So yeah. it's yeah. just something that he, he doesn't worry about missing shots. He knows, he knows he's a good three-point shooter, and uh, he's better off taking them than passing them up.
1: Yeah, and you go back to that McConnell play. He, he split two Lakers to, ju- to, to uh, you know, sprawl out on the ground to get that ball, too, on that steal, on that takeaway. I mean, he split. There are two Lakers that stood straight up. And the other thing that I was inspired by, and I'm sure a lot of Pacer fans, if you were up watching it last night, was the moment when Russell Westbrook was having a good one and he was feeling himself, and I think he dropped a dime. It may have been to Davis, I can't remember, for a dunk. And then Austin Reeves gave him the, you know, the binoculars you know, for the great look, and then he did the binoculars thing. And you just kind of sat there and hoped that they'd get a little bit of karma come back at him. And that's the Pacers hung in there and gave them dancing around and doing this whole Russell Westbrook thing because he was feeling good. A little bit of karma the Pacer fans wanted to see last night.
0: Yeah, and because, you know, people look at, you know, the Lakers and they started 0-5 and 2-10. and This right now is the best the Lakers have played. They've won it two is. straight, five or six. Uh, they've got pretty much everybody healthy. Uh, Patrick Beverly did not play because he was serving the third game of a three-game suspension. But when they have James and Westbrook and Davis all together, I mean, that's a handful. So you have to look at that as really a really good win. I, I know they're under 500. I think they're 7-12. and 12. I don't think their talent um, showcases that. Uh, but, uh, you know, just a, just a terrific win. And you could see the joy uh, with that group. I mean, they don't care who makes the shot. Uh, they just know they want to win. And uh, that was a huge way uh,
1: to play a game two of this road trip. Nah, uh, especially it was a, the second of a back to back, and I, it almost looked like against the Clippers on Saturday afternoon that they just kind of got off the plane and took a bus ride and went out there to play. I mean, they didn't have much resistance whatsoever when they got down, and you could kind of tell. Um, and, I, and I know that I think it was JJ that said that after the game when they got down i think maybe it was 17 or so maybe it was less than that buddy healed kind of stepped in and said hey listen we don't want this to turn into what happened yesterday and then at that point in time they kind of lifted one another up so yeah that's the way say, it felt you know, at the least. one
0: thing i mean just from a tv standpoint i mean ken softman had to be over at crypto.com arena at five thirty in the morning uh, for a one o'clock start here so no excuses. I mean, you've got to deal with that in the NBA. But it's the first time that the Pacers had played anything uh, before 7 o'clock this year. So uh, I just thought, you know, it was a two-point game against the Clippers at the half. It was manageable for a while. And then the Clippers ran away. And I think one of the things the Clippers are doing, they're, they're figuring out how they can play without Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. I mean, Leonard's only played five games. Uh, Paul's missed, I think, four. So that's a team that's as deep as anybody in the league with a number of former starters and NBA all stars John, that come off the bench. Yeah.
1: It's uh, Chris Denary right there. Sacramento up next, right?
0: Yeah, Sacramento. We're in Sacramento. And, uh, wow, you know, Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald coming back here for the first time. Uh, DeMontis Sabonis in a Kings uniform. Uh, Sabonis did not play for the Kings in Indianapolis last year. Uh, So there will be a lot of national attention, I believe, on this game because both of these teams have – have played far better than anyone thought when the season started. The Pacers are 12 and 8; they're fourth in the East. Uh, Sacramento's 10 and 9, and they're a playoff team in the West. So it's going to be a very interesting game tomorrow night here in Sacramento.
1: I was up with you last night. I thought sure I was going to get a call at about four in the morning, but it didn't come. But I was up there. I was up there with you. I should have. I, got a,
0: I got a I got a tweet from Tucker Barnhart. I don't know if he was at the Colts game, but he. Tweeted that he, <laughs> he, said, hey, he can was. The game he start- was
1: at the Colts game. He, yeah, he was he there. Was
0: like, can the game start earlier? Um, he, he was looking <laughs> for an earlier start.
1: Yeah, so. yeah, he was at the game. I think I, I made sure that he got into bullseye though. So I'm, I'm assuming he already had the game day experience made before that that debacle last night over at Lucas Oil Stadium. Chris, I appreciate it. You and Quinn, shout out to Quinn. Also, great call on the NIMHARD make last night. The game winner. That was good stuff, man. All right. Thanks, John. We'll talk to you soon. So, uh, Chris Denary, voice of the Pacers, Valley Sports, Indiana. On well, the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
5: And that, folks, is our Allegiant Air. Great round of the. <laughs> oh, that, that was <laughs> yeah. last night's show. That's last My, night. I'm sorry.
1: They are not I'm a sponsor still, of this show. They both. should be, but I'm they're sorry. not a sponsor of this show. My bad. All right. That's Greg Rakestraw. Colts post-game show host who thinks he's still doing the post-game show I haven't slept night. yet, John. What, what time show. did you get home from that?
5: Uh, I got home at about 2.50. I was still uh, up. I legi- Of course you were. Yeah. Um, I, I legitimately am operating on about three and a half hours sleep. Oh, I got two and a half, sleep. half that, hours last As you night? well know, the kids don't care that you were up late and no working. They need to be good at school. Well, at I right had the good
1: fortune last night of uh, being able to go on to the Pacer game. They got down 19.00. And then seventeen in the fourth quarter. I hung in there, and then got to see what was an absolute incredible. That was a, an Alcoa fantastic finish from our football days back in the nineteen eighties. I think the only Colts player that was ever in an Alcoa fantastic <laughs> finish. Do you remember him, Ray Butler? Ray Butler, the immaculate reception. Ray Butler, I believe. The immaculate against, deflection. Sorry, yes, I
5: believe that was against Pittsburgh Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers. One of the three I wins think. the Indianapolis Colts ever have against the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> that eight, is it. Yeah, eight eighty four. 2008, and yep. there's one in there somewhere in the middle. Oh, the uh, 2005 regular season of Monday Night Football.
1: My question is, why do they still not have the Alcoa Fantastic Finish? Is Alcoa even a thing anymore? I think it still is in Southern Indiana. I'm not sure. Yes, down in right uh, yeah. down by Newburg is that right, where yeah. Alcoa is? Maybe they felt they didn't need to spend their money on uh, you know a week old highlights. The Alcoa Fantastic Finish was fantastic. Not so much. For the Colts last night, off to a dreadful start in the first half. And then inspired play, I guess, in the third quarter. And then, as usual, their offense cannot close the door. They didn't last night with a multitude of errors. Greg Rakestraw joins us on JMV Ale Emporium. We're with the Indy 11, where USA moves on to the knockout round with a 1-0 win over Iran. USA, 9 a.m. Saturday morning in that round of 16, knockout style, matches up against Greg, Netherlands. Netherlands, so again,
5: anytime you get one of the top five or six teams in Europe, you know they are talented, Um, but I think the U.S. hung with a better team in England who, after basically barely being able to get a shot off against the U.S. on Friday, then put three up on Wales in the second half of today's match, so... Again, that makes the U.S. efforts in a 1-1 draw against Wales and the 1-0 win today. Well, they've not been high scoring, they've been very difficult to get shots on or very difficult to have a great amount of possession against. And to me, that translates very well into playing the Netherlands coming up on Saturday morning.
1: All right, biggest surprise in the World Cup so far? You know, because
5: we are just getting to the payoff end of the tournament, you know, you can have a you, the way the group stages work. You can kind of have a bad game and still get by with it. Yeah. So the next three days, you know, the other groups, C, D, E, F, G and H uh, will all have their final matches. Groups A and B wrapped up today. So in Group A, Netherlands, which was a huge favorite, made it out of their group. Senegal over Ecuador is a bit of a surprise. But Ecuador's top player was injured and couldn't play today. And Senegal took advantage of that. The fact that Qatar didn't win a match was was not exactly a surprise. Um, The fact that it's the U.S. and England coming out of the group, not a huge surprise. Somebody thought it would have been Wales against the U.S., so nothing major yet. You know, we have had matches like Saudi Arabia beating Argentina. That is the equivalent of a 16 beating a one in the NCAA tournament. Uh, The fact that Japan beat Germany, a surprise, but where the real surprises lie is when one of those teams that pulls off a win like that then can back it up with enough other results to at least get to the round of 16, so... Uh, I'll have a better answer on that question for you seven days from now.
1: USA, Netherlands, 9 a.m. coming up on Sunday, or at Saturday morning. Sleep in. Around. pre get, Pregame is 9 a.m. Okay. Kickoff is at 10 a.m. 10 a.m. 10 a.m. 10 a.m. for you yes. coming up. Uh, meantime, Colts last night, Monday night football, lose 24 to 17. Colts now 4-7 and 1 on the season. Jeff Saturday met with the media earlier today. I don't think you were a part of that. Nope. But... He, We had all wondered why he was not utilizing timeouts. And again, I mention it this way. They weren't going to win. I didn't expect them to win. But I thought that they needed a timeout to catch the breath, to set some things up. Jeff Saturday, last night after the game, said that he kind of felt like time wasn't an issue. He doubled back on that. And then today feels as if he should have called a timeout. The biggest role that that played in that game And the loss. Is it very large? I'm kind of downplaying, I guess, a little bit just because I don't think their offense was going to have enough to push it into the end zone anyway. Agreed. I'm I'm in the exact same boat.
5: Um, So, yeah, would they have been better off? Had they taken the timeout? Yes. Do I think it really would have affected the end product? not likely. So I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. Yeah,
1: I, I just I couldn't see that part happening. The, the disappointment for me was the way that they started out in the, in the first half. Agreed. No doubt about yep. that. And and I mentioned this to Ben Brown a little bit earlier. I was disappointed defensively, especially with, with the last touchdown and the two-point conversion they gave up. And then with once Najee Harris went down to it seems like Benny Snell continued to move the football. You look at their overall numbers, 172 yards on the ground with a dinged up at best and then not playing Najee Harris. That wasn't good plus you got what Kenny Pickett last night ran that Jalen Hurts play that quarterback draw I think three times against this Colts team and got some yards pretty good yardage at least out of two of the three let's face it the defense
5: I wouldn't say they've they've earned the night the right to have a bad game the defense has been what has carried this team to whatever level success they've had all season long the defense was average last night they've been really good most of the year We saw the difference in that a night ago.
1: A lot of coaches, a lot of organizations after a bad season say, we are going to go under the microscope from top to bottom and look at what has gone wrong, evaluate everything. Oftentimes, I just think that's a bunch of words. In this case, it does need to be because a lot of what has been built foundationally has failed them this season, Greg, miserably.
5: And you would say, though, that you have done everything that you can do once the year started. If you've changed your head coach if you flipped your quarterback a couple of times, if you removed your offensive coordinator, you've kind of done as much tinkering and swapping yeah. as you can do during the regular season. So it's kind of like, hey, the last five games of the season, um, there's no quick fixes at this point. This team is what it is until you get to the off season and potentially scrap it and reboot it.
1: Jeff, Saturday the guy for the future, you think, here?
5: I have no idea, um, just because... There's there's five games left to go. We saw a little bit of an impact against the Raiders, but what we've seen the last couple of weeks yeah. looked looks kind the of, same. Look kind of like just before, and again. Coaches make a difference, but it is always about the Jimmys and the Joes more so than the X's and the O's. And, again, there's just not enough good pieces. Well, right
1: I mean, That's why I point the finger at Chris Ballard entirely for where this team is right now, the way that it's built. And the difference is between what you saw last night of the Steelers and the Colts right now is even in a bad season in Pittsburgh, you still have some of those foundational pieces, plus you get a look into the future where you have quarterback in place. I like George Pickens a great deal, a wide receiver. I think if you know he stays... If he stays good, stays on the field, he's going to be. But Rick Venturi and I talked a little bit earlier on my way here. He kind of compared him to what he thinks he's going to be a guy like A.J. Brown. I would tend to agree with that comparison. They have a lot, along with Fryermuth, the tight end. They had a lot of what the Colts don't have in place, and I guess specifically at the quarterback position, what they believe to be the long-term fixture here. And those are some of the answers the Colts are going to be tracking down. Correct. I mean, again, it's just,
5: are there some pieces here you're going to keep? Absolutely. But are there enough good ones for this team to be truly competitive right now? No. And this group has gone so long without a reboot. You know, we had one in 2012 and we're thinking, hey, this is going to be a long term process. And they go 11-5. and five. And so it has been – and, and it's, it's great to be in win-now mentality for 10 consecutive years. It means you think you're going to be good. This team should have won more during that time. There are multiple reasons as to why that's the case. But they've never looked at themselves in an offseason and saying, hey, it's, it's probably time that we have to kind of build the foundation back up. And I think that's where this franchise is for the first time really, in 11 years.
1: I think we've also gone, I think if you were to ask some people within the organization now, whereas maybe prior to, maybe not everybody, but certainly the owner felt this way, wanted to win games still. I think now, if you continue to lose and you continue to take a nosedive, I don't think as far as the future is concerned, that's altogether going to make anybody unhappy any longer. I think yesterday, I think last night is what that meant, moving forward
5: here. And let's face it, from a mathematical standpoint again, are the Colts at 4-7 going to be a playoff team? no. But mathematically, you could still win five consecutive games and potentially be a playoff team. Nine, seven, and one was the seventh playoff seed a year ago. If the game in Dallas goes kind of how we think it's going to go, now you're going into a bye at four, eight, and one, yeah. and then you can have more realistic and honest conversations about what the last month of the season looks like.
1: All right, I'll let you bail here a Thank little bit you. more about the Indy Eleven too.
5: So, Indy Eleven, obviously, we're getting ready to start season number ten. Uh, remarkably, coming up in March. Uh, was sit with a few of the players, Jared Timmer, A.J. Cochran, and former player Matt Watts, who's getting ready to head out to go become a, an assistant coach at FC Tulsa. They were all here for part of the watch part of the day. Good to catch up with those guys. We will start making players signing announcements over the course of the next handful of days in terms of players we are bringing back. We've already announced some of the players that won't be coming back for next year. But the way that kind of the, the, the fiscal calendar works for these guys, they're on a 10-month contract. Basically, the contract starts February the 1st and runs through November the 30th, as in tomorrow. So the next couple of months are about player signings and tryout camps and free agent acquisitions and things like that. But really, training camp will get underway two months from Thursday, in and around February the 1st. We'll start playing friendlies a couple of weeks after that. And by the second Saturday in March... We'll be playing a 34-game USL championship season. So tickets are always available at indie 11com 317 317-685-1100. And please make sure you download and use the Indy11 app.
1: And thank you for having us, Indy11. Thank you for the ale and pour. And we've got another hour to go to, Greg. Go home. Get some sleep. Bro. Of course,
5: you know me. I'm going to go do a high school basketball game. I'm at Pendleton Heights. It's like right over there. <laughs> We're so far east. So you're I'm, going I'm, to do a high school I'm, basketball. I'm going right north to do Westfield and Pendleton <laughs> Heights at 7:30. So I'm to nap for two hours in my car first. All right, brother. I appreciate it. See it's Greg Rakestraw, Everybody here
4: with us. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Ben Brown of PFF is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Ben, I'm sorry to keep you on hold for so long. He's our data scientist. Um, I am uh, going over the shortcomings of what was a first-half embarrassment last night and yet another loss for the home team here.
3: Yeah. I mean, I understand the frustration. I can say that much because it was uh, maybe one of the worst first quarter performances from an offense. I think we've seen all year. I was going to maybe look up a stat for that, but after that game, the Colts rank as the third worst offensive unit from an EPA perspective, the two teams below them, the Rams and Texans, uh, the two teams above them, the Panthers and Broncos. So, not necessarily the company that you want to uh, be keeping at this point in time. And I think
1: it speaks to, uh,
3: you know, overall an overall lack of direction for the entire organization, I would say.
1: Yeah, no question about that. And no question about that. And then, like, you talk about the lack of direction right now. I I don't know where – I was thinking about it last night where they're going to come up with the answers. And I, I guess one of the things I did think about knowing you were coming on is where they are right now offensively and how bad that you mentioned the first quarter I mentioned the entire first half for a team that had been begging for that spotlight for so long to come out there and look like that that's just embarrassing right
3: yeah it was it was it was so bad right I mean so they had they had five offensive plays in the first quarter minus 1.6 EPA per play that was that's the worst first quarter ranking for any team uh so far this season so it was You know, every every bit as bad as expected and then a whole lot worse than that. So I think, you know, in saying that that was the worst first quarter offense performance of any team, you know, in the National Football League this year, uh, I think that kind of frames, you know, where they were at last night. And unfortunately, uh, it it did happen on primetime. And I think that's where, uh, you know, you absolutely need to start. This is, you know, kind of something else that we talked about, you know, in the shift from going from, you know, firing Frank Reich to Jeff Saturday was, you know, Frank Reich was pretty good unscripted offensive plays throughout his entire tenure for the indianapolis colts they were number one from an epa perspective last year they were at least you know close to league average this year uh, and that's the part that you know very much dropped off uh, you know the proverbial cliff yesterday and, and when they don't have that you know they're not even close to i would say a league average football team unfortunately
1: How'd their numbers look? Uh, again, Ben Brown of PFF, offensively, you mentioned how bad it was in the second half. I guess if we're going to look at something, I mean, the third quarter they played well, but it was one quarter out of four. How'd they look all the way around in the third quarter? And then how did they come out, offensively speaking, overall, game-wise, on Monday Night Football last night?
3: Yeah, I mean, they de- they definitely responded in the second half, and I think, you know, you finally see- some shot plays, I would say, specifically to Michael Pittman. I do think, you know, the, 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 the hope that they were going to create more yards after the catch for what is, I would say, a pretty poor Steelers secondary unit really didn't come to fruition. I think, you know, overall, like Alec Pierce was the lowest offensive graded Colts player last night, so he just wasn't involved whatsoever, but there were, I would say, some bright spots. I think that, you know, from a pass blocking perspective, Matt Ryan did take, you know, the one sack and was under pressure in certain spots, but... This was actually, you know, uh, the Colts' best uh, pass-blocking PFF grade that they've had so far this season as a unit. Uh, And that was, I I would say, you know, in a lot of ways, kind of led by, uh, you know, Bernard Raymond, who we had, you know, as a really good, uh, you know, pass-blocking grade so far this year, so far that week. So it was, you know. So so he was,
1: Ryman was good last night. Is that what you're saying? At least numbers-wise with you guys? So he had
3: a 73.3 Pass blocking grade, which I would say is you know a little bit above average, eighty nine point right. nine run blocking grade, which is one of you know the, the better run blocking grades, especially from a tackle position that you would find in Week Twelve. So he was, I would say, uh, you know, probably
1: one of the only bright spots for the Colts as, uh, offensively. Yeah, uh, yeah, there weren't very many. I mean, I would look at Jelani Woods after he dropped that ball at the end of the first half. It seemed like he kind of got focused in in the second half, and right. I thought it played well and. You know, really, other than that, I think you're kind of chasing your tail as far as finding anything that was good about this team. And I think that's why, Ben, that you've got so many people with such a lack of hope going on here right now, right. too, because we're talking about you – know, and the Steeler fan came on here, and this is, you know, about what we are and our culture. And I just – when I have to hear about culture, I, this team right now with the Colts is just not talented. They're not talented right. enough. And at the very least, the Steelers can sell, even with, what, four wins now? What are they, four and seven? They can sell yeah. their fan base of having those essential pieces, at least right now, under their roof, ready to roll, whereas the Colts, the way you look at it, they don't.
3: Yeah, and they have, you know, the one thing that the Colts, the Colts haven't had in quite some time, and it's you know, I would say, you know, some hope for the future at the quarterback position because they've been, you know, completely uh, abrasive to actually trying to draft somebody and they've gone with this, you know, retreat type free agent quarterback. And that has its flaws, right? Because I do think that, you know, when you're trying to piece together a roster, like the roster surrounding some of these guys, you know, specifically, you know, the Phillip Rivers year uh, and, and everything else was a pretty good unit. But when you bring in a veteran guy at that type of, you know, salary cap like those those things start to fray a little bit and i think that instead of you know obviously it's a little bit of revisionist history or a lot of bit of revisionist history but actually going out and and at least trying to find your guy through the draft you know it's kind of the first step i would say uh to really turning uh not only the culture around but also you know the direction of the team around and and until they you know bite the bullet and do that and and when they actually have the draft capital to do that you know I, i think there's still a lot of dark days ahead for indianapolis colts fans
1: Ben Brown of PFF, I'd agree with you on that via the Andy Moore automotive group hotline. I, we didn't hear much from T.J. Watt against Braden Smith last night. How did Braden Smith look on on the right tackle position matched up against T.J. Watt oftentimes last night?
3: Yeah, so he actually, uh, you know, I would say graded out uh, uh, quite well. 74.6 overall offensive grade was really good. actually had, uh, you, you know, th- um, probably, uh, you know, him and, Him and Ryan Kelly had probably the best, you know, pass blocking grade along the offensive line, uh, 76.1 grade. So I think he held up, you know, better than uh, what we probably would have projected and was also pretty sound, you know, from a run blocking perspective. So I I think, you know, at a lot of points early on in the season, we probably could have pointed to, you know, the offensive line kind of being at least, at least if it wasn't the main issue, uh, a pretty big chunk of the pie was probably placed in their direction and rightfully so. But last night, Uh, I thought they held their own against a pretty decent front four and specifically, you know, TJ Watt. uh, I think they kind of held them in check a little bit and and we kind of see that play out, uh, you know, a little bit. in you know, uh, Matt Ryan's like pressure rate, it was uh, definitely lower than it was throughout stretches uh, early on in the season. I think, you know, that, that speaks a little bit to uh, them at least holding their own uh, along the offensive line. Unfortunately uh, they just didn't have enough volume maybe to grade out uh, any poorer than what they did, I guess.
1: It's uh, Ben Brown of PFF on the Andy Moore Automotive Group potline. Before I catch a loose here, I want to get to the defensive side of the football for the Colts. And I guess I wasn't really expecting this, especially with a dinged-up Najee Harris, who was dinged up again last night, had 10 carries, 35 yards. But if you put everybody's production together, the Steelers rushed it 36 times for 172 yards. How disappointing was this Colts defense against the rush for you last night?
3: Yeah, it was. I mean, it wasn't great, right? But I do think when you kind of get up, uh, there for that many volume of carries, like the yards per carry, uh, you know, I would say is, is kind of almost in, along the lines of where you uh, probably want to live from a Colts perspective, right? So it was really just the volume that, you know, in some ways wore them down. But, you know, guys like uh, Anthony McFarland and guys like Benny Snell, unfortunately kind of beat you uh, at the end of the game and you couldn't get a stop and they kind of did break off a lot of those chunk plays towards the end of the game. So somewhat disappointed. I do still think, you know, if you're looking for bright spots, you know, a guy like Grover Stewart, has continued to play well. And I think ESPN specifically kind of put out this stat, but uh, it was something that I wanted to check in our data. And he actually uh, has the second most tackles for loss or no gain uh, of any defender, basically in the NFL, you know, through the first 12 weeks of the season. So he has graded pretty well from a PFF perspective, and I know he's a guy we've talked about previously, but I I would say he is and has been, you know, consistently pretty stout, I would say, uh, along the interior defense line, especially from a run blocking perspective or a run defense perspective.
1: Any other numbers before I let you go that stand out to you either offensively or defensively last night as we move forward with uh, unfortunately a squad that uh, is four, seven, and 4-7-1 now and looks dismal uh, at best here in Colts uniforms? What do you think, Ben? Anything stand out?
3: I mean, I'll say, you know, from a little bit of a
1: sleeper perspective
3: and a guy that I think definitely needs to get some more run here in the latter half of the season is Isaiah Rogers. I think he's PF's, you know, second graded coverage cornerback so far this season has been really good. Did, you know, have basically had one reception for two yards yesterday, has been on a little bit of a tear kind of since week nine. So I think there are maybe some pieces that you can find out, at least as far as, you know, how well are these young guys going to be able to hold out to, you know, a full complement of snaps. And I think that, you know, Isaiah Rogers specifically is a guy that you need to get involved, uh, you know, as much as possible here in the latter half of the season and really find out, you know, how good can this coverage unit be, you know, in 2023 with him in the fold.
1: There it is. Ben Brown, a PFF on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Not a great Monday night whatsoever for Colts fans, but breaking it down with the analytics for us, as he always does every Tuesday. My friend, I appreciate it. We'll get back to normal Coming up next Tuesday, and that'll be coming off the Dallas game, so that should be pretty sweet. Can't wait to give you the, the uh, offensive line numbers <laughs> with right. that. Ought to be very nice. So I appreciate it. I appreciate
3: you, too. Thank you. We'll see what the pass blocking, if it falls off a cliff here or not for the Cowboys. So yeah. it'll be fun.
1: Yeah, I, I, the cliff is probably coming. Ben, thank you. Ben Brown.